There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Where are you paging in from right now? Ojai, California, O-J-A-I. There's a, there's a really good golf course in Ojai, isn't there? That's where I teach. The Ojai Valley Inn. Ojai Valley Inn. I'm down in Los Angeles. Oh, you are? Yeah, and I can't tell you how often that course gets brought up as a must play, a must visit. Well, come on up. I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> Why don't you? Actually, we'll reschedule this. I'm going to come. Bradford needs a new teacher anyways, so. I do. I do. Mine moved to Charlotte. So. I am here. Doctor, also. What? How should we refer to you, Doc? You signed your email, Doc. The pros call me Doc. The I love uh, that. Um, some, my, some of my my younger students call me Doctor Joe. I love calling people Doc. It's especially yeah. when they've earned it. Speaking of potentially onboarding Bradford as your newest uh, pupil, what, what does working with you look like? If I'm a golfer looking to employ your services, what does a lesson with you look like? How do you engage with a new client? Well, let's start with uh, long distance. And that is, uh, I give lessons by Zoom, FaceTime, WhatsApp, all over the world. The way that I start is a little bit unusual. And that is, I start by asking people what they're doing well, rather than what the problem is. Right. Because I want to find out what's going well and then we can build on those strengths to fill out the areas that need improvement. I never use the word weaknesses. There's strengths and there's room for improvement. <laughs> so they're both, those are both positive. So we start with that. And then I, so then I find some keys and I say, what do you feel like you could be better at? Where is there room for improvement? And then we find a thread that goes through that. And when I'm talking about coaching, I'm not just talking about golf coaching. There's other sports. I just got a request to coach a poker player, billiards, bowling, race car drivers. I just had a, a guy who was so frustrated at golf that he quit and started to play paddle ball. So then he, he was having trouble with that. So he asked me for coaching for paddle ball. And I said, you never Zen know. Zen pickleball, we out Zen, here. Zen paddle ball. And, and, and he said that helped. And you know what? I may be able to get back into golf now. We say on this podcast very often that you're not a real golfer until you've quit the game right. at least once. So <laughs> almost everybody has quit it in their mind during the during a round. Uh, sure. At, oh, for at, sure. Sure. So what my main goal is is to find is to identify those talents. That's why I ask what you do well to start, and then help people like you guys get out of your own way to get the most out of your abilities. That's the basic framework. When I started working with Vijay Singh. Uh, and he said, okay, I think I want to do this. What's your program? I said, you're my program. I don't have a mm. canned program. I'm not going to fit you into my program. I'm going to shape my program around you. I'll say, let's try this. And they say, you know, that didn't work. I said, I'm not attached to anything that I say. It's, I'm not ego involved in you following what I do. We're trying things out. So it's, uh, it's like golf. There, there, you take the techniques, there is technique involved, but then you apply them and find out where the artistry is mm. and what works for you. And then we shape those different things around. So some people, they want to meet every week for a while. Other people, I do one session and they say, I'll let you know when I need another one. It, it's the full, the full range. 
Now, you think, well, virtual, we can just talk like talking heads. Not so, because you can take your iPad or your phone or whatever your device is out on the golf course. So in-person lessons, what we do is we talk for a little bit. We'll go to the putting green and range and then go out on the golf course because that's where the mental game shows up. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You get totally different players from the range to the course, don't you? I have yeah, one of my videos is called Taking Your Range Game to the Course. And it starts with a guy telling me, Doc, what's going on? Uh, I'm on the range and people say, what are you, a five handicap? But on the course, I'm a 15. Mm. And it's very interesting. Mm. The way people think of themselves, it's very often 10 strokes. I don't know why. It's <laughs> mystical. Interesting. They, they, somebody says, what are you, a scratch golfer? No, I'm a 10. What are you, a five handicap? No, I'm a 15. Are you like just, you know, single digit? No, I'm almost a 20. You know, because there's no consequence on the range. You get to, you rake another ball over. Okay. But on the golf course, you don't get to do that. You know, that's why there's a story about um, Sam Snead being in a, a debate, kind of arguing with Ted Williams, one of the greatest baseball hitters of all time, saying, which is harder, golf or baseball? And Ted Williams says, well, I'm sw I'm, I have a rounded bat that's hitting a round ball that's being thrown at me at 90 to 100 miles an hour. And Sam Snead said, that's true, but I have to play my fallow balls. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And the balls are sitting there waiting for you to hit it. It's a, it's a proactive offense. It's taunting you. It is taunting you. <laughs> no. It's in my, you see, that's, that's I do a lot with language. I do right, a, okay. lot, a lot with language. And I say, no, it is inviting you. I like that. It's, it's, it's hand is out waiting for you to shake it. I'm also impressed by the vehicles by which you engage with your clients. You yeah. mentioned FaceTime and WhatsApp. My dad in his mid sixties barely knows how to text. So hats off to you for <laughs> staying in touch and, and having different touch points with your, your students and your clients. Are um, you saying because I'm old? Uh, no, sir. You look <laughs> not a day over 40 at very most. You're on my side. <laughs> I'm always curious when speaking to people in this field, which we have, we've spoken to several psychologists and counselors, where your ideas come from, particularly when you're just starting out. And it's kind of a crude question. So apologize the sort of rambling nature of it. But when your job is to essentially take these pretty larger than life kind of philosophical principles and boil them down into using language, as you just mentioned, this sort of comprehensible thing that people can understand and then bake them into golf of all things. Mm -hmm. When you're just starting out in your career, how did you find or build a body of research to like justify creating your own theories and then mm -hmm. ultimately find the confidence to implement those uh, with professional golfers? We speak a lot about therapy on this show and call it ageism or bias, but I don't trust a therapist who's younger than me, for example, because I don't <laughs> think they have the life Where skills. Where have you been? To <laughs> it sounds like Rafe, Rafe Floyd who said, I'm never going to work with a coach who can't beat me. Sure. No, but there's something, I think the kernel there is 
where at the beginning of your career, where are you finding these, mm-hmm. uh, the research to justify these principles that you're instilling in professional people who are very good at their trade already? Okay. So, um, first of all, I want to address the ageism issue and, <laughs> and uh, in reverse that you don't trust younger people. Uh, of course, I grew up in the in the 60s and 70s when you don't trust anybody over 30. Uh, there is something called old souls. So there are some very young people who have really deep uh, a store of wisdom. And that, that wisdom uh, isn't necessarily based on academic research. But I do have that background. And that is, I have a PhD in social and personality psychology, not therapy. When I first started in this, somebody referred a golfer to me and he said, look, my friend asked me to call you, but uh, I have a golf coach and I'm in therapy, so I don't really need you. And I said, that not the idea. (laughs) That's that's really not not how this works. So I've never, uh, I'm not a therapist and haven't been a therapist. I started in psychology and at the same time learning about Buddhist wisdom, the Eastern wisdom of mindfulness, awareness, meditation that uh, gets you centered, focused, and being able to handle the ups and downs. My first book is called Zen Golf, and Zen means fully present with awareness of everything that's happening, your actions and your experiences in the present moment. So as we know, in golf, we can get ahead of ourselves, we can we can bring along uh, something from the last shot. You know, how often have we seen somebody pump one out of bounds to the right and they say, I got to tee up again. And then they hook the next one to the left. <laughs> I like to say, good job of not going right again. That's yeah, sure. really excellent. So uh, in any case, that's, that's where I started. And I was teaching at a center for Buddhist psychology, combining Eastern and Western psychology. And a young man came who was, on the golf team at a university and about to go to Florida to be an assistant pro. And I said, let's go play hooky. Cause uh, I was <laughs> I, in high school and uh, I was an athlete, uh, football, wrestling, track, tennis, little league baseball in the summer. Golf was the only unorganized sport, mm-hmm. but I did that, you know, drop, they drop us off early in the morning and played till dark. So, we went out on the golf course and he said, tell me what my mind is doing on the golf course. I said, I got a deal for you. You tell me what your body, what my body is doing on the golf course. I'll tell you what your mind is doing. on them." So he became my, my golf technique coach and I became his mental game coach. We did clinics together and I started teaching people uh, and, and uh, about breathing and getting out of your head and into your body using your breathing about visualization, using your imagination, because the brain doesn't know whether you're seeing something or remembering something, and routine, going through a process and developing proper habits that put you in the position to make that free, fully committed swing. So the students, when I was a guest speaker at one of his uh, um, clinics, they said, I want to talk to that sports psychologist from California. That stuff is better is the best thing since sliced bread. So I was doing this more as a hobby. And then it became my full-time career when I moved out of stress management into 
stress management on the golf course, basic, basically. One of my Buddhist teachers, who was an American, his father always played golf and he wasn't really into it. And one day he took it up and he hit a shot and it went click. And he went, oh, I get it. <laughs> when the ball goes out into space, your mind opens up into space. Whoa. And he became that connection of how meditation applies to playing golf. So all those things together were what came through. And the research is I found things that worked and they're pretty universal because everybody has a mind and everybody has a body and it's the connection between the two that I'm teaching. You brought up mindfulness a couple times there. I'd love to hear more about that from you specifically. You know, I guess we we talk a lot on the show about the senses and you'll get some questions from us later on about how senses and golf mm -hmm. connect. But I'm curious if you can talk about the relationship between our senses and mindfulness. One of the practices is to uh, sit and get centered. And, and if you go on my YouTube channel, there's about, oh, there's several dozen of my sessions that I do. I do free mindfulness, awareness, and compassion practice sessions Mm -hmm. um, every couple of weeks. What we start with is getting settled and centered. Then we work with the breathing and get into the rhythm so that you're aware of your body, posture, the feeling of filling and emptying with the breath, but your eyes are open. They're, they're looking, your gaze is downward, so you're aware of the space that you're sitting in. We start with that. Then we raise our gaze and focus more on the breath going out as the breath goes out, you open up to your environment. So it's environmental awareness. Mindfulness means paying attention to what's happening moment to moment while it's happening. Your mind is full of the experience of the present moment. So it's more focus. Awareness is connecting with the environment around your mindfulness. So you're mindful of what you're doing, but you're also aware of the environment in which you are doing it. That environment comes to you through your sense perceptions. So we sit and become aware of what are we experiencing visually and being open to whatever you're experiencing without shutting any part of it out. So it's a panoramic awareness. Mm. Then you work on sounds coming from all directions, bodily sensations. If there are smells in the room, that's included. If, you know, you just had a, a taste of something, there's taste. Those are the, the usual five senses. But we perceive something else. What's the sixth sense? What do we perceive other than those five senses? Spidey? Spidey sense? Ourselves? Our thoughts. Now, it's, it's a self-generated object of perception, mm. whereas mm -hmm. visuals are other object, other generated objects of perception. Our feeling, our body is internally generated object of perception. Mm. Thoughts are a mentally generated object of perception, but you perceive your thoughts. If I, if I ask you, what were you, you know, what were you thinking about? Uh, as I was saying, whatever I was saying before, you would be able to remember, oh yeah, I was thinking about this. Well, you observed mm -hmm. it. You mm -hmm. perceived your thought. 
Now, here's the interesting thing about working with the senses. In the tradition of Buddhist meditation, over 2,000 years, uh, this, is, this, was, this was written over 2,000 years ago, the perceiving mind is like a monkey in a room with six windows. It can only look out one window at a time. In other words, only one sense perception has priority. All the others are functioning, but they're in the background. It's why if you're really listening to a song that you're getting into you might drive, uh, while you're driving, you might drive past your exit. <laughs> you were seeing enough to be able to drive, but not looking for what you needed to see because you were focused so much on listening. In the same way, if you are completely occupied in your mind by your thoughts, you lose your feeling, you lose the visualization of the target, you're not there. You're someplace else, off in thoughts. Because the thing about your perception of your thoughts is it can take you into the past and the future. All the other perceptions are happening in the present moment. So if you want to anchor in the present moment, you have to anchor into one of those perceptions rather than thoughts. So if you are thinking about your swing while you're swinging, you're thinking, you're not swinging. You're not swinging mm. presently. Yeah. Mm. Which of the senses then do you suggest people prioritize as they're making a golf swing? I find out in our conversation. Uh, people will have different responses to that? Different modalities are primary. Some okay. people are much more visual. So if you're giving, if, if, a, if a, a teaching pro, a swing instructor, I, I don't do swing instruction, I know enough to point some things out and say, you need to go see a swing instructor about that. <laughs> but but I, I try to separate that out. So uh, some people need to see it demonstrated. And if they see it, they can imitate it, visual. Some people need to hear it explained. And for those people, I might even say, imagine the sound that the, it's going to make as the club goes through impact. And for those people, I want to say, you know, hold the club uh, on the shaft near the club head and swing the handle through the air and make the swoosh sound come after where the ball is, mm -hmm. ahead of impact because they're focused on sound right and they take oral instruction better and then there's feel people they need you to they need you to put you themselves physically in that position mm -hmm. say this is what i want you to feel like when you're at the top oh so okay i can get like there. a chiropractor you you can they can <laughs> show you and the person goes yeah i see it i had a right. student who was so feel oriented that he pretended when he was reading greens that he was sending out this big hand made out of light that was feeling the, the contour, feeling the contour of the slope around the green. Oh, I love that. This, this has got to be uh, a major winner. Got to be. That's some, that's some meta stuff right there. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Yeah, <laughs> sending out a beam of of light and sensation over a green. I wouldn't recommend is. it. But, but an imaginary hand feeling right. contour, yeah. right? Wow, Damn, that's, that's a feel oriented person. So it doesn't help to um, say try to see the line. He said, "Right, I see nothing. I got to feel yeah, yeah, the yeah. line. I got to feel line. the line." <laughs> 
Yeah. And for them, walking up the hill, be the there's a good be the ball. Imagine the energy it's the ball is going to take going up the hill and going to that mm. two tiered green. Somebody else can just look at it and see. Oh, okay. I can calculate mentally the angle and how much it's going to take to get over there, and that all visual, no problem. Mm-hmm. Right, Bradford. What do you think your uh, primary response sense of sense would be in this? I think instance? I'm a feel person. Yeah, I think I think I would appreciate having someone put my body in those positions so that I. Yeah, I got I got to feel it. I got to get it into my body. I I got to get it into my my nervous system so, so that's, that I can. So this is an example of how I teach. I was watching you guys and seeing how you reacted. And Bradford, as soon as I talked about the feel, you went nuts for that. <laughs> you went nuts for that. Everything else was yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Would it help to know that my my love language is physical touch? Keep keep in <laughs> keep in mind. There you go. I, didn't didn't you write a song about that? I think that's a lyric from one of your songs. So, um, so so uh, there are some people that are kind of very evenly balanced all the way through, and different situations cue them up to give one or the other a priority sometimes. You know, like they'll tune into their feel when they have to hit a shot that's got to go under a tree branch and they've got to lean a particular way. Okay. You know, that's not one you can think about, What you know, remembering what you heard was the technique. That you really do need to feel it. And mm-hmm. um, and some people are like that, that one uh, pro I was telling you about, so feel-oriented that they hardly can see or hear. They... They need all it all, even visuals become feel like that hand. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And that I had extreme. I had a sound oriented student. I said, "So, what do you think this this uh, this shot? We did some shots around the green. I said, hit a high soft one. He said, "You mean like?" Whoa! <laughs> and I went, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah." And what would I, you know? Uh, the ball, the, you know, the, the, his putt would lip out and he would go, I'd go oh, we got a sound person here. I said, so what would a, a kind of a penetrating, uh, lower, lower shot, two hops and stop be? And he'd go, wow. And I go, okay. Percussive golfer. So I, and sometimes he'd move his hand. So he would combine a little bit of, a little bit of feel, but mainly sound. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I said, before you hit any kind of those shots, I want you to softly to yourself just go. And he did. He did it. It was unbelievable what he Mm. could produce in response to his auditory expression of the Mm -hmm. shot. Isn't that interesting? That is. That sounds like somebody who would be very good at like mimicry and like accents too. Like he's That's like a possible. copycat. That, that is possible, yeah. Uh, I, I promise this is leading into a, a question that we like to ask, and I'm, we're going to jump ahead, but um, have you ever encountered a student who is particularly smell-oriented? Uh, I remember reading about Ben Crenshaw, the great putter. Yeah. He said he could smell the dirt in the cup, right? Because the, 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 the cup is cut through the grass. Yeah. 
and there's exposed soil. Mm -hmm. He could right. smell the dirt of the cup, and that's what his he was sending the ball to. How how dialed is your sense <laughs> of smell to be able to pick that up? You're like, there it is. It's yeah, over there. he he walk into me cooking a, a meal at dinner and be like, not enough salt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, right. There you right. go. Where's right. the Mrs. And, Dash? And, and most, you know, many golfers, you know, oh, the smell of fresh cut grass, right? Right. Okay. Well, that that's the perfect segue into our one of our meat and potatoes questions that we'll jump ahead to now. Because what do meat just, and potatoes smell like? There you go. Well, I'm that's joking. a good one. I was but, teasing. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite golf smells? Oh, that's interesting. Honeysuckle. Ooh. Ooh. We have we have uh, hedges of honeysuckle at the Ohio Valley Inn, and walking down, walking past them, it's like, uh, and roses. Stop and smell the roses. It's literal. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, yeah, you stop. It is. I love the smell, of especially wild roses. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's the best. Both of those answer answers transport me. Um, I can vividly remember the the yard where my preschool was and had a chain link uh, fence around the play area and honeysuckle bushes covering mm -hmm. the street view. Mm -hmm. And every day me and my friends would go over and pull out some honeysuckles and there you go. And um, back at home, my folks are in New Jersey. There's a rose bush that's been on the side of this, this house for 20 something years. And I, I, Anytime I see a rose bush like it, that's great. I will walk up to. I will stop what I'm doing, walk up and smell. I don't care where I am in the world. That's something that I have to do. All right. Well, after after our podcast, we're going to have a little chat because I grew up in New Jersey also. Oh, right. okay. let's so, go. I knew no, I liked. Let's not you. take the time now, but we'll. Okay. <laughs> we, call it Jersey, we call it Jersey geography, and we'll do that after. Okay. What's next? Done and done. <laughs> Well, you guys, on that and and sort of tying back into mindfulness a bit, I'm mm -hmm. curious to turn it on to you a bit. What would you say the conditions are that make for the most mindful golf for you to play? What are you doing in the morning? What is what is happening on your way to the golf course? What is what kind of day is it that sets you up to play maybe the most enjoyable golf? Bradford has asked this question before, and I love it if you want to take it in this direction too, what does golf on your birthday look like? What is an ideal scenario for you to, to be on the golf course and be the most connected and present possible? Well, golf on my birthday is, uh, it's more about the company that I keep. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things uh, that my meditation teacher, um, we, we distilled some of his comments into uh, a few paragraphs, um, and the the this is in Zen golf, uh, um, talking about kind of principles of warriorship of golf as a, a. I like to say, be a warrior, not a worrier. So I have a I have a stu one of my one of my pros, uh, aspiring pros. Uh, he's got two columns that he puts each shot in. Did I play like that like a warrior or did I play that shot like a warrior? 
and we're trying to move as many of his shots into the warrior column as we can. Now, so um, the, the qualities are virtue, discipline, humor, and friendship. And virtue is just, I mean, appreciating, hey, I'm looking down at the fairway and not up at the fairway. So it's a good day. And, and, and discipline is, you know, um, we're playing, there are rules to the game. And within that, we get to express ourselves. But we have to, with respect, discipline is connected with respect. And humor is uh, not taking it so seriously, taking the game seriously, but not taking yourself so seriously. And then friendship is the appreciation that we're all um, playing the golf course, but we're, we're individually, but we're doing it together. So that, that's the real... That's the real joy of, of playing the game. As far as preparation goes, I want to share a couple of things. One, Ben Hogan, before his final rounds, because in his day, they, they didn't play on Sundays. They played two rounds on Saturday. And Saturday morning, he would try to do everything in slow motion. And that's because when you get excited about going into competition, your adrenaline gets started going early. You start speeding up and don't realize that you're speeding up. Because uh, and so by doing it in slow motion, you're actually moving a little slower than you, than than. Uh, but but it's back to regular speed. It feels slow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like if you realize suddenly you're driving 80 miles an hour and you go, "Ooh, I better be careful." It's a 65 zone. And you slow to 65. It feels like you're doing 50. Now um, the other thing is to be aware of what else might uh, come to mind while you're playing. And what I have players do is take a, a, little, a little box, like a jewelry box or a little Tupperware container, something like that, something with a lid that they can take off and put on or open and close and say, go in your locker or your car, whatever you're going to leave where your stuff is, Put that box, and before you, you leave it, take the thoughts that you don't want coming up on the golf course about other things than golf, and say, I'm going to put you in here. Now, I can't do, I'm not going to be able to do anything about you while I'm playing golf, and you're not going to help me play better. And part three, and I promise I'll pick you up when I'm done and, and, <laughs> and relate with you then. Okay, and then you close the lid and leave the thoughts there. If you're out on the golf course and one shows up, you go, hey, what are you doing here? Go back into the box. Right, right. You're not going to help <laughs> me play golf better. I can't do anything about you now, and I promise I will come and pick you up after. So go back there, and then you continue on. So clearing the decks in that way, and then uh, it, if you can leave yourself some time for a warm-up, that's good. Uh, a lot of times you can't. And isn't it funny that sometimes we play our first few holes really well without warming up because no expectations. Mm -hmm. And then we go, ooh, i got to keep doing this. And, oh, and yeah. something starts to creep in. But e either way, um, getting a feel and keeping it simple is going to be the best way uh, to play. And then I have a special 
you know, game plan, which is mm. to give yourself the best chance for your lowest score on a particular hole. And you know what, you know, uh, if you're not a long hitter, there are some par fours you're not going to reach into, or mm. you're unlikely to get on the green into. Just pick the, the club and the shot. It's going to give you the best chance for your lowest score without taking an unnecessary risk. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you did on the last hole. It doesn't matter what the, how hard you think the hole is going to be. Play within yourself that way and keep your expectations to being, I'm going to have the most fun I can have rather than I'm going to shoot the best score I can shoot. We call it a hit and giggle yeah. at, at, at group golf therapy. Well, there are those, for, there for are those, and if you're going to play that kind of game, you should definitely not worry about your score. And <laughs> right. then you should try all sorts of miracle hero shots. Yeah. <laughs> but remember that when you are not playing hit and giggle and you're playing a competition, you know what the likely result is of one of those shots <laughs> and sure. what your odds are. Let me tell you, Connor don't care either way. No, <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> so it, it sounds like, you know, your, your environment is important when it comes to this round, this birthday round. Where are you playing that? Is it at Ojai Valley Inn? Um, you know, it doesn't matter that much. It's the people that you're playing with. I do have some places. I mean, I, I love Pebble Beach. Mm -hmm. It's great. But it's hard not to love all those three courses in the L.A. area, the, the Los Angeles Country Club and and Riviera and Bel Air. So if I don't have to travel very far, any one of those would be just fine. <laughs> Got it. I love that you, no matter who we ask that question to, hmm. it almost always comes down to who is there. People. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe you can speak to why that is so important. I think that the people that we, that we surround ourselves with, they, they complete us in a certain way. It wouldn't be that much fun to play with three clones of ourselves. Mm. You know, it's the differences are important. It's interesting. The thread of like-mindedness is important. You know, I, I'm, I'm on the board of something called the Chivas Iron Society, and that's a group of golfers who are big fans of Michael Murphy's book, Golf in the Kingdom. So we have a... Uh, uh, a like-mindedness that we want to learn from the game. We want to, uh, ex you know, expand our awareness. Um, we want to, again, uh, take the game seriously, but not take ourselves too seriously. So having that like-mindedness is an important thread. And then the complementary personalities that uh, produce all the colors. You know, it's more fun to have uh, the red, blue, yellow, and green out there than just one color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What has your work taught you about yourself? I imagine you learn a lot about other people and a lot about humanity and human condition. But what has your work taught you about yourself over the years? Well, I think any uh, any good teacher regards their students as their teachers hmm. because there's a reflection. Hmm. There's an old saying, you teach what you need to learn. <laughs> Damn. And so if you 
are open to the reflection coming back to you, you start to uh, learn from your students as well. Hmm. And I, <laughs> I just was doing a lesson yesterday, and I, and I, it's interesting. If you're really there for the student, they bring what they need out of you, out of your repository of experience and, and knowledge and wisdom. And so there's a feeling of not having to go through the Rolodex and say, okay, what lesson do I need to teach them? It comes spontaneously in response to them. And all you have to do is be more interested in them than yourself. <laughs> now, the teachers who are more interested in themselves, they don't hear what their students need. They, they are, they're interested in putting their imprint on them. But if you are open and focused on what the student needs, it calls forth from you. The good teachers, it calls forth from you something that you may not even have realized you knew. It's a new synthesis mm -hmm. of, some, of the things. Obviously, you have that in your, in your store of knowledge. But sometimes a student calls forth a particular combination of those things that you never had, that you never did before. I'll give you an example. I had a student who was a right-handed golfer. He couldn't see left-to-right putts very. Couldn't read left-to-right putts very easily, and it's pretty common. Right-to-left is easier to see for right-handed golfers than left-to-right. And we were joking. I said, "Well, you know, Nota Begay used to play with a, a putter, the, the old bullseye putter, that it didn't matter which side." And he would actually putt lefty on the left-to-right putts and righty on the right-to-left. And I went. Right. Hey, wait a, hey, wait a minute. And I told my student, I said, here's what I want you to do. Let's try this. This was, I had never thought of this before. Let's try this. Tell you what, set up as if you're a lefty to this ball. You're not going to hit the putt. Use the back of your putter towards the ball. But set up as if you're a lefty and then look at the line. He said, I can see it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So then that that's how that lesson came about. Hmm. And I just, I just taught that to a, uh, a club champion. I was doing a clinic at one of the, the clubs in, in the uh, Los Angeles area. And he said, help me out. I have a little trouble reading left to right putts. And I said, turn around. He goes, wow. <laughs> but I, hadn't, I didn't think of that separately and then bring it onto the golf course. My student brought it out of me. Right out of the need. Isn't that interesting? So that goes back to what you said at the top, you know, when someone approaches you and they're like, you know, what's it, what's it like to work with you? You're like, I'm here to learn from you. We're going to customize this to exactly what you need. Right. I love that. Yeah. There's some alchemy there. There's some like, uh, yeah. Student, student, inspiring teacher, inspiring student yeah as long as you stay out of the way right and as long as you're more interested in them than yourself yeah i know um several really good teachers um and and i experienced this as well when they're demonstrating something for their students they hit their best shots <laughs> uh i know i know one I have one student who took lessons from me and another guy. And he says, both of you, 
I've never seen anybody hole out more shots from bunkers and around the green <laughs> than when you're demonstrating shots. Wow. It's very interesting. And, you know, I have a saying, I go, it's always nice when the demonstration works out. Sure. Yeah. Perfect so here's point. how you read a 40-foot putt. Da -da 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 -da. Here, right. boom. <laughs> now, if I have that 40-foot putt for myself hmm. during a round of golf, I'm going to have a way hard, much harder time. So sometimes <laughs> I pretend that I'm giving somebody a lesson and I'm going to demonstrate right. it rather than I <laughs> ah, I like so. that. That's good. Explain yeah, it to yourself like you're five, you know? Yeah, and then... yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. That is really good. Well, I hope this has been fun for you guys. Oh no, my it's, God. It's a, it's a pleasure. And I mean, we should, we should hit a few of our, our meat and potatoes questions. Yeah, we hit other one ones yeah. early. I'll give you another sensory question. What are some of your favorite golf sounds? I think that a uh, purely struck short iron or wedge, hmm. the really good thump in a bunker. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. And then um, the ball rattling in the bottom of the cup. Hmm. That's universal, baby. That's Yeah. Mm. The bunker thump yeah. hits me particularly hard. And to continue it even a step further, it's the, the sound of the sand sp uh, splashing on the green after mm -hmm. the thump. It's the See, double sound. Yeah. See, Bradford, you're a you're a, a, a feel person. I've identified Connor as an auditory person. Very true. He closed. Very his, true. He's closed his eyes while he was describing that. Right. <laughs> he closed his eyes, and he added the set. Who listens to the sound of the sand on the green? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Now we're talking going deep on the auditory scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See how he, that he's works. the musician, that so that works. works. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Well identified. Can you describe the time on the golf course where you laughed the absolute hardest? Ooh, that's an interesting one. It, it might have been when this guy that we used to play with, he was so sweet, but he took things so seriously. And he moaned about just just about every single shot. <laughs> and he hit, I think it was a four or five iron uh, up to this uh, to this par five, a uh, par three, I mean, to this par three, off the tee. And the ball had barely left, and he went, "Ah, I pulled it. Oh no." And it started to fade. I went onto the green and went in. Oh. <laughs> and I said, you were complaining yeah, isn't that about a hole in one before. Oh. So that's that was that was a big one. That was Ooh. a that was a that was a pretty, <laughs> yeah, that's that good. Was a pretty good one. Yeah. You can't live that down as the person who complains it into the hole. Yeah. 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 That's tough. That's tough. Hey, I should try that next time. Yeah. Yeah. My, just complain um, after every shot. We have a saying, we, we don't want to play BMW golf. What is What's that? What's BMW golf? Oh, we do play. We play BMW golf. It's a little rule that we play, local rule. If you bitch, moan, or whine oh, about your shot <laughs> before it stops, 
we have the option of either A, making you play it over again, or oh. B, or B, trading you for ours. Oh, Ooh. this is a great rule. Okay. This is a really good rule. You might have just done something. BMW You might have just done something. BMW Golf. If you compl- bitch, moan, or whine <laughs> about your shot. I'll have that. You, we get, yeah. I'll, I'll, oh, you didn't like that one? Fine. I'll take it. You can play I'll take mine. It. Right, right. That's so good. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. okay. That's great. That is- that's that going into the vault. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, a glossary of terms. Do you have an emotional support item that you keep with you on the golf course? Hmm. Anything in your bag that keeps you centered? I do have a, a fun little thing I do. Uh, if you find a heads up penny, it's kind of good luck. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I mark my ball with a quarter that ends in the year in in the 60s okay 65 67 69 and here's the funny thing i was working with christy kerr and she didn't have her ball mark and i said here have mine she she said how do you know i do this i said what she said i mark my ball with a quarter from 1965 whoa oh wow i said i didn't know that we just both do that whoa why why that year 65 yeah. Not a bad score. Not a bad golf score. Okay. okay. Come Fair on. Enough. Fair play. Dope. That's great. I love that. Yeah, that's good. That's ambitious. That's uh not for her. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> she said fifty nine. I need right, a fifty nine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Minted in fifty nine. Our podcast is very graciously sponsored by the good people at Red Rooster. They make our favorite golf gloves. And we have a segment on the show that we call Get a Grip where we give our guests a full uninterrupted minute to rant or get off their chest, whatever they may, um, about something that's grinding their gears in golf at the moment. Hmm. So as someone who seems incredibly centered and grounded, is there anything in golf that is currently grinding your gears that you would like to get a grip over? Hmm. Well, I wouldn't say grinding my gears. I would say pace of play. And I, th- I think that that's really the thing that uh, makes it hard for a lot of people. And, that, and it comes from trying to imitate the pros. And it comes from, you know, the only thing that grinds my, my gears at all is people being uh, discourteous on the golf course. Mm. You know, I... I we don't need to get into the, you know, the different pro tours and the, you know, and all of that stuff. Money in the game makes things very, very difficult. But as far as ordinary golfers, appreciate the opportunity that you have to play golf. And don't make life miserable for yourself and those around you. That makes me want to cry a little bit. I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Agree. Full stop. Yeah. If you could play a round of golf with a younger Dr. Joe Parent, maybe pre PhD. Mm-hmm. Pre HD. Pre HD. Pre HD. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you could walk the golf course with that version of yourself, mm-hmm. 
what do you think the conversation would be about? Not even about advice. Just what do you think you would talk about? What would you geek out about? Oh, definitely about uh, mindfulness and awareness and um, working with uh, these principles that I learned in the in my uh, Buddhist practice hmm. uh, and how they can be expressed and conveyed to people and help and help others more. How can you know, basically the conversation would be, how can we help others more? Hmm. Now, before we go out and play, I would say, why don't you get some lessons? You'll, <laughs> you know, you, you, you could enjoy this game a whole lot more if you were, <laughs> you got some, got some lessons and didn't say, oh, I think I can figure it out for myself. That's the, <laughs> that's the only other thing I would tell the, the, the uh, 20 something version of me. I'm sure you'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'd both appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Dr. Joe, thank you so much for your time. You're very generous and, uh, you have a very calming spirit. I, I feel very at ease listening to you. I hope someday that Bradford makes it up to Ohio and gets a playing lesson with you and that someday the three of us can make it out onto the golf course together at some point. Well, whatever you're experiencing, uh, I owe that all to my teachers. So thank you. I love that. The mistakes I made, those are mine. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Yeah.